Well, we have a lot to celebrate today. Uh, We believe that Jesus Christ is risen. Uh, when, When he rose from the grave, there were hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And since then, there have been millions of people who have claimed that their lives were changed by him. And so because Jesus rose, everything changes. Because that tomb is empty, because Jesus rose from the grave, all of history is different, the story of the world is different, and the stories of our lives can be different too. Because Jesus conquered death, because he conquered Satan, because he conquered sin, we can be free. We can have life everlasting with him in the presence of our Father. And the fact that he rose from the grave, the fact that that tomb is empty, should make all of us want to know what he was all about. Who he was, what he came for, what he had to say, what his mission was, and what that means about us. Even before he rose from the grave, people knew that Jesus wasn't just a normal guy. Uh, he, he spoke words that had power like anybody el- unlike anybody else's words. He did miracles. He even rose the dead from, from death to life. He was an amazing man. And so, so people knew he was amazing, but what was shocking to many of them is that he didn't hang out with the people you would expect a religious leader to hang out with. He hung out with the outcasts. He hung out with the tax collectors who were considered the worst of the worst in society. He spent his time with people that everyone would say they're sinners and religious leaders shouldn't go near them. So in Luke 15, starting in verse 1, they started to wonder out loud about him. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus lived this amazing life, but his associations were shady. I mean, this would be like if you had a teenage son that every time he went out the door, you knew he was going to hang out with potheads. Eventually, you'd be wondering, is my son a pothead? And and so here's Jesus going to hang out with people who who everybody knew were the worst of the worst. And so the religious leaders start to say, what's up? Why is he doing this? Why would anybody do something like that? So Jesus tells them a couple of stories. Number one, he tells them that he's like a shepherd who lost a sheep and leaves the other 99 to go and find it. Number two, he says, I was like a woman who lost a valuable coin, and I cleaned the entire house, and then when I finally found it, I brought all my friends in to celebrate. And then starting in verse 11 of Luke 15, he tells the story of the prodigal son. And it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So this is the famous story of a son who wanted to get away from his father. All he thought of his dad was of his dad's property. And so he came to his dad one day and said, Dad, I want to just treat everything like your debt. I, I want you to give the inheritance that would normally be mine upon your death. I want you to give it to me now. Give me your stuff. I don't care about you. I just want your cash. Now, this would have been incredibly insulting. I mean, you might expect this dad to shun his son and say, I have nothing to do with you. You're not my son. Get out of my house. You might expect the dad to just kick him out and, and breathe for a little while before he decides what to do. But this dad, he gives him what he asked for. He gives him his wealth. He gives him that thing that, that made it look like he was dead. This dad is almost crazy in how lavish he is with his son. So that son goes and he spends it. He still doesn't respect his dad. He still doesn't honor his family name. He goes and he spends his family fortune living like Charlie Sheen on spring break and, and the money is gone. He spends that money that his dad had worked so hard to, to earn on the drugs and on a party. He lived like his father didn't exist and he made the name of his family a bad one. And this is pretty typical of the way that many of us will live in relationship to God. We take the things that he's given us, which is everything that we have, and we spend it on our own pleasures. We, we go out and try to break as many commandments as possible in a single weekend, and that's what we call college, and, and we say, this, this is how I want to live. I want to take the blessings of God and use them for myself. And these people that Jesus hung out with, that's how they lived. They were the tax collectors. They were the ones who lived for the cheap thrill of the moment. They live for the pleasure that sin could bring them now. And Jesus says this son who, who gets that inheritance, he goes out, he spends it all, and then he comes to an end to himself. He runs out of cash. He's got nothing left. He lost his money. He lost all his friends. He partied it all away. And now that his money's gone, his friends are gone too. And so he starts looking for work. He can't find a job. And so finally he finds someone that will hire him to go into the fields and work with the pigs. Now for us, we, we look at pigs and think pigs are wonderful because they're made out of bacon and, and there's nothing better than that. But this son, when they looked at pigs as a Jewish guy, they would have looked at them as dirty, filthy, unclean animals. I mean, just to touch them would make you ceremonially unclean. You certainly couldn't eat them. You shouldn't be farming to produce them for other people to eat. So this guy is at his lowest point. He's got nothing good going for him. He's lost it all. He's squandered his father's wealth. He's at the lowest point a Jewish boy could possibly be at. He's out in the fields working with the pigs. And so he says, my only hope is to go back to my dad. And maybe if I'm lucky, if I catch dad in a good mood, maybe that day he'll make me a slave. He'll give me one of the little slave huts that I can live in, and then I'll go out and I'll work, and that existence will be better than the existence I have out here with the pigs. So at this point, he doesn't fully understand his father. He doesn't know how his father will react when he comes back to him. He didn't have any confidence that his dad would be nice to him. And he certainly didn't have the resources to clean up his life. I mean, if he had spent all of his money and he didn't even have food to eat, he definitely didn't have money for new clothes. 
So picture this son going back to his dad in clothes that have been soiled in the pig fields. He looks tattered and torn. He's hungry. He's lost weight. He smells like a pig farm. And he starts making his way back to his dad. So as he's making his way back to his dad, he's planning how he's going to handle this. He's running through the speech in his head. In verse 19, this is what he decides he'll say. Or verse 18, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So in his head, that's, that's what he's playing through. I'm going to say these things, and maybe if I humble myself enough, then dad will make me a slave. But when he gets there in verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. He doesn't even get a chance to say, make me a slave. In verse 21, he just says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And right when he's about to make the offer, make me a slave, his dad says, get the best robe. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. So this is shocking. He comes back expecting a stiff arm from his dad, and he gets a bear hug. He expects to be a slave, and his dad treats him like royalty. And they feast. Verse 23, it says, And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now remember the reason Jesus is telling this story. He's telling this story to explain the reason why he hung out with these people that everyone thought he shouldn't be hanging out with. He's telling this story to explain to everybody the heart of the Father. That anyone, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how far we've wandered away, can return to God and he'll receive us not with a stiff arm, but with a bear hug. He'll receive us and not treat us like we're on probation, but treat us like a prince. He wants the people to know what the heart of God is toward us. And this is a big part of the message for all of us who are in this room today. I know there are a lot of people in this room who say, man, I've been one of those prodigals. I've wandered. I've gone so far. You don't know what I've done when no one was looking. You don't know the thoughts that have gone through my head. You don't know how I've squandered all the resources and the time and the emotions that God's given me. You don't know what I've done to my family, to my marriage. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been. There's no way I would return to God and receive a bear hug. But Jesus says the reason that he's hanging out with these people is to show us that that is what God is like. That God is going after us. You see the father in this story get up from his table and run to his son and welcome him. He's not just waiting for the son to come all the way back home and clean up his life and then put him on probation. He gets up and runs to him and loves him. And Jesus says, this is the heart of the father toward us. We had sinned. We had defiled our garments. We stunk. We had no way to clean ourselves up. But 2,000 years ago, God ran after us. He came after us and he lived the perfect life that none of us could have lived. He died on the cross He was buried and he rose again. So that the Bible says whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So because of what he did for us on the cross, he takes his robes of perfect righteousness and he puts them on us if we'll trust in him. He takes off our defiled and stinking robes of our own sin, of our own resume, of the life that we lived. He takes those off and gives us his clean robes and treats us not like slaves but like sons. 
And so the invitation in this story, if that's where you are, if you're one of those prodigals who's wandered so far from God, is to run back to God and he will embrace you. The Bible says there's actually more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 who need no repentance. And the gospel, the heart of the Christian faith, is not that you have to work hard to earn your way back to God. It's not that you can clean your life up enough so that God will finally say, well done, I accept you, now come into my kingdom. The heart of our faith is that when we couldn't save ourselves, when we weren't even worthy to be God's slaves, because of the cross, because of the death of Jesus, because of the empty tomb, God will receive us, accept us, love us, cleanse us, and make us his kids. And so for everyone in this room, the invitation is for you. Regardless of how far you've gone, I promise there's nothing you've done that has outsinned the reach of God's grace. You can turn to Jesus this morning and you won't receive the stiff arm. You'll receive the bear hug. But there's a second son in this story. The younger brother has now come home and they're having a party. But in verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So here's the son who's out working faithfully in the field. He sure looks like he's been serving his dad. He looks like he's the faithful son. He looks like he's the good son. And normally he would come home and he'd come up over the hill and maybe if he was real quiet, he could hear his dad sobbing as he sat by the window waiting for the younger brother to come home. But this night was different. He comes up over the hill and it says that he hears music, which you would expect to hear music, but also that he hears dancing. So this is quite a party if you can hear the dancing. He comes over the hill and says, this isn't what I'm used to. I'm not used to to this. I'm used to a sober, sad night where every time the sun goes down, it's one more memory that my brother's gone. And now he comes over the hill and there's a party. And he says, is that that Cotton Eye Joe? Like, what's going on? Why why is this happening in my house? And he looks down at his phone and there's nothing on the calendar. He's probably thinking, maybe this is for me. I mean, I've been the faithful son. I've served all these years, and maybe now we're going to change it. I mean, things have been so sober and down at our house. Maybe Dad's decided, listen, instead of mourning the loss of our son, we're going to celebrate the son that stayed here. So he's probably thinking, the party must be for me. I can't imagine what else Dad would be celebrating. So he gets toward the house, and he asks one of the servants, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother's home. Your dad says it's like he was dead, but he's alive again. And so he threw this huge party. And for this older brother, it takes a minute to process the news. He goes through this in his head, and he says, my brother is home now? I mean, I've heard all these rumors about how my brother's been living. I hear all these stories. For years now, people come up to us, and they ask us, how's your brother doing? And we just have to endure this cloud of awkwardness and strangeness. He's put our family through so much. Dad's been weeping. Mom hasn't been the same. Things haven't been the same at home. And now he comes home, and there's a party. That doesn't make any sense at all. I I, I just can't imagine what would possess my dad to think that this was a good idea. Because, man, if you thought my brother was crazy with the way he used the money, what is my dad doing with the way he's using the money now to throw a party for a son who's done all of this? It's completely inappropriate. And now the money's probably coming out of my half, and that's where this party's coming from. How, How is this not crazy? 
So the servant comes out and he says, come on in, man, come on into the party. And he says, no way, I'm not going to do it. Go back in there and tell my dad there's no way I'm coming into this party. Now, I've done a lot of weddings over the years, and it seems like at about one out of 20, there's some family drama that ruins the reception. Where, where there's that one person who decides that he's going to make that night all about him, and so he throws a fit, and he's sitting outside, and there's yelling and sending messages back and forth, and here's this huge party that people are spending $10,000 on, and one guy is saying, no, no way. So that's kind of what's going on here. Dad's throwing the big wedding reception-type party, and this older brother, rather than wait to talk about this stuff tomorrow, he sits on the porch and he says, there is no way that I'm going in. So you would expect his dad to flip out. You'd expect some kind of anger. I spent money on this party. I killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating. Now get in there. But instead, his dad comes out differently. It says that his father entreated him. It's like he invited him to a treat. He's saying, you're welcome. You can come in. You can celebrate. There's a party in here. There's enough joy for you. Verse 29, it says, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, not even my brother, when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So dad comes out and says, come on inside. But he says, dad, I've worked for you for all these years. I've been like your slave in those fields, and I get nothing. And now he comes home, and there's a party for him. So notice how his true heart is starting to show here. Notice that he's after the same thing that his other brother was after. His other brother wanted his dad's stuff, and so he demanded it now and took it and squandered it. This brother also wants his dad's stuff. He doesn't care about his dad. He doesn't have a heart for his father. He just has a patient approach to getting the same inheritance that his other brother got. But his dad says, come on in, man. Your brother was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So come on in and celebrate. And then the story doesn't resolve. We don't know what happens. We don't know if the older brother says, you're right, I'm being a jerk, and comes in and starts to celebrate. We don't know if he sits out on the porch and misses out on the joy. We don't know. And the reason is because this is an invitation to those of us who are religious. This is an invitation to those Pharisees who are sitting there and asking Jesus, what's going on? He's saying, you can come in too, but you're not inside right now. Now this should be shocking for us, especially if if you just kind of been on the fringes of Christianity and you don't know what it's all about. Maybe you've heard that becoming a Christian means you turn over a new leaf, you clean up your life, you start obeying the commandments, and then God accepts you. And then the good people, the Christians, are the ones who have it all together. They're obeying the rules. They're following God, it seems. They're, They're showing up at church. They're putting money in the offering. They're doing all those good things. That's what it means to be a Christian. But what Jesus is saying here is that we can be like that older brother who does all the right things on the surface, but then has a heart that's far from God. And there are actually two ways that we numb ourselves to our need for a Savior. One way is the way you would expect church to be pointing fingers at, uh, where we go out and we just live for all the pleasure that sin offers for the moment. We numb ourselves with the party like the younger brother does. 
But Jesus says another way to avoid our need for a savior is by being religious. By saying, I'm going to be clean. I'm going to be neat. I'm going to fix this problem on my own. I'm going to live a good, clean life. And then God will have to accept me because I've been so good and I've been like his slave. But the message of Jesus here is that God wants to make more than slaves. He wants to make sons and daughters. And that the way we come to God is not by our own good works. It's not by fight, 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 and then finally God will accept me. It's by recognizing that I desperately need the grace and generosity of the Father. I need his mercy. I need his love. I need his cross. And when we turn from our sin and unbelief, or when we turn from our religious attempt to save ourselves and we turn to Jesus, believing in his cross, believing in his death and burial and resurrection, he promises that he'll receive either brother with open arms. So which kind of brother are you? Do you tend more toward the wild living type and you think God would never accept me because I've been so bad? The message of this story is that he'll accept you with a bear hug because he already got up and ran after you. Or are you the older brother who says, I'm pretty good on my own. I don't need a savior. I actually deserve something from God. He says, turn from that false hope and turn to Christ and he'll receive you. The most lavish one in this whole story, the one who who spends the most, is the father. He's desperately lavish and gives so much so that his son can be celebrated, so that this reconciliation can be had. And that's the offer that we have from our father, that he will be lavish and bless us too. And when we look at what God has done for us, he gave us his son. I mean, is there anything a father loves more than his son? Last week, I got to spend some man time with my son, Hudson, who's sitting in the third row, not so patiently. And um, I asked what we wanted to do, and he said, well, if it's man time, we got to go to the man store. And he said, the blue one, not the orange one. So he's learning to discern Lowe's from Home Depot. And so we went to the man store, and we put him on the cart, and he surfed it around. And then we got out of there, and we said, what's next? And he said, car wash. So... Went through the car wash, and then I took him to Bugaboo, and we ate steak or a burger, and he had fish sticks, and there were dead animal heads on the walls, and so it was testosterone day, and we we enjoyed each other, and it just drove home just feeling so blessed to have a son. The message of the gospel is that the father loves you so much, he gave his son. And the father in this story, he he slew the fatted calf and threw a party and spent some money. But our father in heaven gave his son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So regardless of where you are, whether you think you've been good or you know you've been bad, turn from all of that and run to him as a savior and he promises that he'll receive you, accept you, and you will be his kid and there will be more joy in heaven when you repent than over 99 people who think they're in good shape. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes, please. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, maybe you're the type of unbeliever who's like the younger son and wild. Maybe you're the type of unbeliever who's religious and thinks you're good. What we all need is Jesus. So I would encourage you to turn from sin and unbelief and turn to trust in Christ. Run to him for mercy 
and you can run there in confidence knowing that he is waiting to receive you. Believe that he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. Believe that he was buried. Believe that he rose again. And then cry out to him in whatever words you want and say, God, I know how sinful I am. I know I've fallen short. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you were buried, and that you rose again. So I turn from my sin and selfishness. I turn from my unbelief. I turn from my religious attempts to save myself. And Jesus, I run to you. And he promises if that's the cry of your heart and not just words that you say, he'll receive you completely. Now, Christians, where is our confidence? Is our confidence in God and his willingness to receive us and be generous toward us? Or is it in our own works that if I have a good day, then God will use me, then God will accept me? What we all desperately need in the message of Easter is that we all need Jesus. So we'll pray, and then we'll be singing a couple more songs. And any time during the next couple songs, uh, if you would like to talk to someone who could pray with you, who could answer some of your questions about the faith, in the lobby in the back, there are people there. You're welcome to go there during these songs. Uh, or you could talk to them afterwards. You'll see people in the blue T-shirts who are around who are willing to help you and pray with you. And so you're welcome anytime during these songs if you'd like to go back there and hear from them. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this story, and we thank you that it's our story. Lord, we were younger brothers, we were older brothers, but all of us were separated from our Father until Jesus came. So God, thank you for giving your son. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your death for us, for your burial, and thank you for your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that though you were dead, you are alive again. And because of that, by putting our faith in you, we can be alive again too. We're here to celebrate you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.